Well, hello and welcome to the Consumer Podcast. The European Podcast is a product of the Consumer Choice Center. I'm Yael Ososki, filling in for your usual host, Bill Vietz, and that is Billy Joel, fading out in the background as usual. So Bill will be away for a small while. He um, wanted to obviously give his best wishes to all and best wishes to Bill as well. And uh, since we have this platform and this amazing program, I figured it'd be a great opportunity to bring up an interview, a great interview that we conducted uh, not long ago with uh, Matthew Mazinkas. He's going to give us great perspective on everything that is happening with Russia, everything that's happening in Ukraine, some things on uh, central banks, on money printing, uh, perhaps some of the cryptocurrency alternatives like Bitcoin. Uh, He provides very good perspective And he's fairly well known across the cryptocurrency space, uh, particularly in the U.S. and across Europe. And uh, seeing as he does live in Europe and uh, he's right there in the Baltics, gives us some great analysis and perspective on exactly what's happening in the war against Russia. And uh, it's something that we cannot forget. We are in liberal democracies fighting every day to try to support our allies that are facing down uh, sort of the... Russian invasion of the 21st century, and I think it's always prescient and and always appreciated uh, to continue to bring this up and to continue to analyze it from different perspectives. Uh, So thank you guys for tuning in. Again, I'm Yael Ososki filling in. Normally you'll hear, hear me over there on Consumer Choice Radio helping Bill out here on the Consumer Podcast. You guys keep listening, uh, subscribing. Please share with your friends. Uh, In the meantime, we're going to go to Matthew and uh, have this great interview. So thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, We're going to have a good convo here. We're speaking with Matthew Mazinskis. He is the host of Crypto Voices, a podcast on economics and money. He's a man who knows finance. He knows spreadsheets. Uh, he knows a little bit about the global monetary base. So, uh, Matthew, thanks so much for coming on Consumer Choice Radio. Yeah, my friend. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Glad to be here and chat a little bit of Bitcoin, a little bit of Ukraine, a little bit of free markets with you. I love this because, um, you know, obviously we met some years ago and, you know, I've been following you on Twitter, seeing a little bit what you were writing about, seeing some of your programs, um, listening to the interviews that you were conducting and started realizing that a lot of us was, was just coming together. And, uh, you know, you you are uh, brandishing the American Eagle in Europe, much like I am. Uh, we are um, a, a small group of innocents abroad, but I think we, we do an okay job. Um, I guess we can start with that a little bit because uh, you're someone who has keenly followed everything that's happened in Ukraine. We've had a number of interviews on our program about it. Um, same for you. Uh, what's it been like, you know, seeing this situation? And then the second part of that is, what's it like seeing our fellow Americans uh, discussing the topics of Ukraine and Russia and and seemingly having a more cartoonish uh, version of that uh, conversation? Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, based on, you know, the uh, location of your uh, shows being broadcast, I think maybe start with that, that second part of that question. Uh, you know, a lot of people have heard a lot about Ukraine. Maybe people have already tuned out, uh, specifically in the United States. But I think if, you know, you're talking about consumer choice and libertarians and classical liberals, which I imagine there's a lot of big, you know, contingency in your listener base. Uh, often, I find that Americans uh, just have a completely different worldview than European libertarians, classical liberals, 
And there's obvious reasons for that, you know, geography first and foremost. Um, so that's, that's just always a battle, I think, that we're going to have to face when we're talking about, you know, our ideal society that may be uh, completely in theory or might happen when we're all rich and have private insurance and private security and good money and, you know, very low cost energy thousand years from now, hundred years from now, who knows? Um, and then what's on the ground and what's happening in 2022. So uh, two completely different things. I think, I think, you know, if you're a Texas libertarian, you might be living well, unless it's like in the winter sometimes when you have like your, your grid go down from a couple inches of snow. But uh, other than that, I think Texas libertarians are uh, a little bit different. Uh, that's just the example I use uh, the, the Twitter, the Twitter scene, you know, of, of someone who just doesn't want to hear anything about what's happening in Ukraine or why they should help or need to help or why the United States government might need to help or what's the proper role of national defense, all the rest. So um, that's sort of my general take uh, to your second point. And, you know, as for the first point about um just what's happening there. Yeah. I mean, just a quick background on myself. I'm, you know, American Latvian. I've been in the Baltic States here in Eastern Europe for about 16 years. Um, you know, it's part of my family upbringing, the follow the Soviet Union, you know, rioting, not rioting, protesting during the late eighties, early nineties, when I didn't know anything about it, it was quite young, but still was going to these rallies, uh, just sort of the story of my life. Nobody in my school had any idea what Latvia was uh, when I was telling them about it when I was young, nor do they even now. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's just kind of the story of my life and, and it's, it's pretty unnerving for all of us. And it was since 2014, to be sure, for all of us here in Eastern Europe, um, Eastern and Central Europe, and certainly other parts of Europe, um, to see what has happened to the people of Ukraine, to see this Russian aggression, full out war uh, that has happened uh, since February 24th. And so we're just doing everything we can to prevent it, to donate, to spread uh, correct info about it, and to, you know, just try to stop this completely unlawful and just awful, awful war that the kleptocratic Kremlin is is putting on. So uh, yeah, I don't know. It's I could go on and on and on, but maybe I'll stop there. I, I think for what I've found the most troubling in all of this, and you know, I'm not necessarily a, uh, a revisionist of the Austrian Empire or anything like this, uh, living here in Vienna. But I think for most people are just not making the connection that you know these are real people's lives that are being impacted. That you know they will have no more home. Their home will be bombarded. You know they're their streets where they used to walk, their dogs or, you know, play with their kids uh, will be flattened, will be charred. And I think there's just not that much of a connection. I think everyone has this knee jerk, you know, about the global war on terror and Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, and these are countries that most people had never been to nor heard of. Uh, but we're talking about, you know, Ukraine and at least for Austrians, you know, there's a part of that that used to be in the empire, you know, that they used to be come down here to the parliament and engage and it was part of the empire and uh, you had the the cultural exchange and the language exchange. And then to see the images today of tanks rolling in, of bombs and, and entire villages being leveled, um, at least as someone who tries to participate in the American system, you know, tries to have some influence there. It, it's just been, it's been very daunting. And I can understand that Americans are far from everything, 
but you know we've built a global empire uh you might not like it but we already do have troops uh, all throughout the nato countries and have them all over the world and to see how the debate has kind of carried on uh you can see that a lot of people are just not very well informed and as you stated don't really uh, know much uh much less about ukraine than you know latvia or anything else uh, mm-hmm. but i i'm hoping that you know seeing a lot more of this people will understand that you know there actually is a need to have uh, some kind of of help whether it's organized privately uh, or publicly and i know that privately there's so many things going on and, and really helping a lot of people out in ukraine yeah yeah absolutely uh and i would just encourage every listener like this fight is far from over it's going to get worse before it gets better um even if they succeed in getting the russians to re- retreat it's going to get worse before it gets better i mean there's gonna be a massive hangover ukrainians are going to be angry you know, at the world for being slow to come to their defense. And then when they finally did, you know, uh, just still have all of these uh, just crazy geopolitical debates that they're going to have to deal with. Whereas the real picture, like you said, is basic human rights, sovereignty, their liberty, their freedom. And we need to support them all we can. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be like the, the new challenge for Europe, for sure. Um, everything, you know, lines are literally being re- redrawn. I mean, uh, the geopolitical structure of the world is being rethought and it's going to have implications for China. Uh, it's going to have lots and lots of implications in the future. So yeah, it's just a huge, huge deal. And one more just quick, uh, piece there, which I think you see, uh, back to the libertarian sort of debate or classical liberal debate. And you have this from, I'd say just general, uh, Republican versus Democrat, or how how should we sort of view this whole situation in Ukraine? One of the typical bugaboo sort of easy, uh, let's not get involved type of narratives when the war started, let's not forget, which was not too long ago, and even up until now was, well, the West just forced this on Russia, because uh, places where I am, former Soviet Union, three Baltic states, which were never their occupation by the Soviet Union was never recognized by the United States, the United Nations, or many, many other countries in the world uh, since 1945. And uh, th- they said, "Oh well, we just pushed, uh, we pushed the uh, the Russians into this situation because they had to think about their own security uh, apparatus." And you know, from the Baltics entering NATO, which by the way was in 2004, it was a long time ago. Like, you know, there can be lower level in infantrymen and women that are starting now to serve in the NATO army that were you know, not even born and twinkle in their father's eye uh, in 2004. It's a long time. It's not like we've just been, you know, this is something that was a surprise to Putin. So there's just so many things to, to talk about there. But lo and behold, uh, now come May, this, this perennial discussion of uh, Baltic, uh, Baltic security between uh, Sweden and Finland, the two neutral countries, now they are getting ready, and as far as I can tell, unless things are blocked by the Turks and in, uh, in, in by, by the by Turkey in the in sort of the near future, I'm pretty sure they're going to to be in NATO, and that's a you know that's a major shift for both countries. Uh, you know we don't have to go into that history, but 200 year policy shift for Sweden, Finland, you know with the Winter War and everything. I mean it's a major major shift, and of course we can joke about Vladimir Putin's uh, you know master strategy of trying to protect the Russians. And here we go, uh, Finland and Sweden about to join NATO, but 
where's the uh where's the ruckus about that like oh they the kremlin tries to say like oh well actually we don't really care that much you know don't bring too many missiles in there but we don't actually care that they're joining nato and so you can see this just doltish debate about nato expansion aggressive nato expansion that americans were trying to entertain because they had nothing they had no other concept of the area the history of the people or the culture it was a complete red herring it's a complete it's just a complete red herring uh finland and sweden you know Finland shares, you know, th- thousands of kilometers of border with Russia, much more of an expansion uh, with them joining NATO than Ukraine. And so, you know, it's such a big deal. It's such a big deal that, you know, the West was expanding. That's that's just the narrative has just completely fallen flat on its face. And uh, we can see that really what it all came down to was Putin's just megalomaniacal views of the Slavic people and he did not like since the color revolutions of 2004 uh when you know ukraine started to move towards the west and of course in 2014 he just did not like that and he couldn't handle it and he's a maniacal dictator and he's just showing his true colors so it was never about nato expansion it was just about a crazy crazy small man's dreams well, speaking of that, uh, I think I have the perfect transition clip, uh, thanks to our friend Bill Maher. Putin is bad, very, very, very bad, but he's still better than the guy who brings every conversation around to Bitcoin. And that's <laughs> going to be us today, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> I love that quote. Yes, very uh, true. So, so uh, Matthew, your podcast is Crypto Voices. Um, you know, you've been doing this for many years now. You've been analyzing uh, the different macroeconomic trends and also the technology side of uh, Bitcoin, uh, everything else. I mentioned uh, before we started recording uh, something about podcasting 2.0 and I uh, wanted to know if you'd entertain a you know a little 30-second pitch here, if that's cool. Yes. Please. All right, so Consumer Choice Radio, we are podcasting 2.0 compliant. Uh, what that means is that you download a modern podcast app uh, that includes Fountain or Breeze. And in these podcast apps, you actually do have a lightning Bitcoin wallet where you can receive Satoshis and while you're listening to a program you can send messages or you can send boosts boost uh, to the program that you're listening to uh, you can also set a listening level so you can send you know whatever 60 sats per minute uh, you can do a boost one time of a couple of thousand uh, it's, it's a great uh, open source uh, you know new interface for how how bitcoin is kind of changing things and for podcasting uh would be great uh for your program as well and it'd be a great way for for you to get a, a nice little bitcoin node uh, lit up with some sats could be kind of interesting yeah yeah absolutely man streaming sats i'm uh it's shameful that i haven't gotten around to that on the show but uh we'll uh you know we have like on twitter i got you know the lightning uh lightning addresses and whatnot but yeah doing doing uh podcasting 2.0 is probably necessary but um yeah it's been it's been uh a different focus as of late for the show i've been doing a little bit more research into um into a lot of economic stuff probably will start streaming soon on on youtube uh in case any listeners are curious uh talking a little bit more less about maybe maybe Bitcoin only or Bitcoin proper and, and just talking about uh, sort of general economic stuff, geopolitical stuff, some of the things we were just speaking about with Ukraine. Uh, and then, of course, always in the background, how Bitcoin can uh, can help there. So so, yeah, that's just a little bit about 
what what I've been doing lately. So I, I know you're aware of uh, the Bitcoin Twitter world, and I know there there's you know sort of an ongoing rhetorical battle about uh, crypto versus Bitcoin. Uh, you know, as an organization, you know, it is something that we do lobby on. Uh, we don't necessarily make a distinction because I don't think politicians know much of the of the difference anyway. Uh, but, you know, that is something that a lot of people are very passionate about. And I understand it. And we all might be, you know, maxis in our basements with our miners and our nodes. Uh, but when we're dealing with policy, it's a bit different. Uh, just sort of wondering, you know, was there a time when you were more interested also in altcoins? Are you still interested in them? Or are you focused solely, you know, with laser eyes on, on Bitcoin and the innovations that are happening there as an alternative uh, to our current monetary system? Well, most of my interest is in Bitcoin, uh, specifically as it relates to the alternative to the current monetary system, as you said. So it's, a, it's more, more heavily focused on the economic aspect, on how it relates to, you know, uh, the, the actual central bank printing uh, the monetary base, gold, silver, so on and so forth. Uh, Bitcoin is just the the big elephant in the room there that uh, completely is economically analogous with those types of instruments. A lot of other altcoins, even Ethereum, second largest, has different features that don't necessarily give it those base money qualities. We can talk about that. So from that side, it's it's only Bitcoin. But from the other side, you know, yeah, there's this whole debate for a long time about Bitcoin maximalists. Um, I don't really know how I would. Uh, define myself, but I, I think a lot of libertarians, they're not necessarily Bitcoin maximalists. They're open to anything that can come and help the freedom of the individual. If they can, if that can, you know, expand and widen their, uh, their, you know, their, their own lives, then like go for it. So I kind of like that view, but on the other hand, you know, it's kind of like Nassim Taleb's like, don't, don't, uh, tell me, show me, show me your portfolio. Uh, for sure, Bitcoin is is uh, pretty much <laughs> yeah not majority there. So it's really not yeah. yeah. I, I don't I don't have any affinity toward any particular altcoin. Yeah, and I think so many of these projects, um, you know, we've been introduced to them uh, through just a lot of of great entrepreneurial people, you know, who are definitely trying to change things and shake things up. And uh, sure. you know, everyone sees Bitcoin a bit uh, sometimes as boring. And I I heard your Bitcoin story, I think, on, on one other show that you were on. And I think is very much the same for, for many of us. We got really excited in the beginning. And then you got all these other things that are flashing by and things are crazy. And then uh, usually it seems like the natural life arc is to kind of come back to the, to the boring Bitcoin stuff, uh, especially yeah. once we've seen the innovations. And, you know, the lightning part that I was mentioning with podcasting 2.0, uh, you know, seeing the ability to use that when I get my hair cut, for instance, or, you know, tonight I'm going to the big meetup uh, in Vienna of the Bitcoiners and, and buying beer with lightning and uh, trying to run a node and do liquidity. And uh, I realized that there's so much that that is happening there that I think most people just don't know because they, they just focus on online go up. And uh, as we've seen the last couple of weeks, uh, the line hadn't been going up at all. Uh, do you have any thoughts on on sort of the uh, Terra USD stablecoin? Uh, some of the the broader moves in the crypto market is this something that uh, you, as a sort of macroeconomic analyst, uh, sees as as perhaps a, a good thing because it's a little bit of consolidation, or is this the big players moving in? You know, how do you read that? Yeah, yeah. Well, my own personal philosophy is kind of long term, very much how like a gold or silver investor might look at it. Um, that's, that is how I look at the Bitcoin market. Um, those that 
want to play and speculate and short and use a lot of futures and leverage, um, obviously free to do so, free to do so with crazy altcoins, which, uh, as we've seen, Terra has proven, uh, Luna has proven to be, um, for those that don't know, is basically a, a Ponzi scheme wrapped around another Ponzi scheme. <laughs> There's a component of it, which was called Anchor, and they were just offering crazy interest rates on uh, on TUSD, which is you know stable coin to the dollar. And then people were taking uh, those staked, uh, uh, well, they were taking the uh, the the asset that was backing those uh, those loans, and then reinvesting that into more. Uh, more of the TUSD and and likewise uh, again and again and so it eventually all collapsed and there was uh, yeah quite a big uh, blow up in the markets like really massive I mean I saw a tweet I think it was Enron was something like sixty billion in market cap and uh, Luna might have been forty uh, so anyway I, numbers aren't too important at that level because now they're all zero. But um, it was massive, massive uh, boom and bust uh, based on speculation and a Ponzi scheme. And yeah, so it gives a lot of fuel to the fire for regulators, which is unfortunate, and people that don't understand the market, which is unfortunate. But these things, as I look at them, are really just a dime a dozen. I mean, they're going to come again and again and again. You got to have your eye on the prize, which is, in my view, just living a good life having a stable currency that you can uh, rely on. Yes, it's going to be volatile because we're only 11, 12 years into this process, 13 years into this process, actually. So um, it's, you know, it's, it's something to keep an eye on a lot of the market volatility and how things move. I definitely think it's going to be pretty weak over the next, uh, the next six to 12 months. Doesn't look very strong at all the way that markets are, reacting to this event um but you know our lower we typically see lower lows or excuse me higher lows and higher highs in bitcoin so we might be moving to one of these low periods we certainly are in the, in the short short term in a low but you know thirty thousand dollar bitcoin is still you know that's 30 that's uh three times more than it was two years ago so you know it's hard to it's hard to be too bearish when if you just extend your horizon from 10 minutes to you know to 10 months you know things look okay so i'm i'm not too worried about it but again it, it's all about the perspective that you take when it comes to sort of what bitcoin is and what it's trying to do and we've uh, we've seen in probably the last 2 years more of a focus and and actually a a sort of mainstreaming of the idea of nation states embracing uh, cryptocurrencies, but specifically Bitcoin. And we saw that in El Salvador, uh, where it is now a legal tender. Uh, apparently, you've heard the same in the, the Central African Republic and yeah. uh, some, some Portuguese islands and the like. Uh, you know, as someone who follows, uh, you know, not just global economic trends, but geopolitics. Uh, so what do you make of the situation in El Salvador and some of these other countries? And I say this in the context of I don't even know the name of it, but I know that uh, Bukele has brought together uh, something like 44 finance ministers and central bank governors in El Salvador to, I guess, to orange pill and talk Bitcoin <laughs> to them. Uh, so they're meeting at this moment. Uh, who knows what's coming from that? Uh, but what do you think about nation state adoption? And is that something that we should care about? Do you think it's hopeful or, or do you think it might actually lead to more problems? I think it could lead to more problems in the short term. Uh, I am not one of these Bitcoiners who 
gets so excited about every single piece of Bitcoin news, least of all when it comes to a central bank, uh, you know, reserving Bitcoin, which as my old co-host Fernando used to say, it's like, uh, it's like the virgin prostitute or something. I don't know when a central bank is holding, uh, you know, holding a lot of gold or holding a lot of Bitcoin. It's just, it's just quite uh, the anathema to what they're actually doing now, which is just printing uh, their own sovereign currency, which is backed by nothing else other than a state monopoly. So Bitcoin, yeah, it might bring in some, uh, some new people to the market, but Bitcoin doesn't, it, it doesn't care. The protocol itself doesn't care who is using it, uh, who transacts with it. Um, so if we start to cheerlead something like you know, a few central banks taking it on and then other central banks taking it on, we might start to think that, oh, that's actually how it should be. It should be run by a central bank and held by a central bank. And lo and behold, we're in the exact same situation, which happened uh, to gold and silver, first silver, then gold, uh, which is not really a favorable position to be in. I mean, uh, gold has basically failed as a, as a uh, generally accepted store of value and medium of exchange of the last hundred years. I mean, a hundred years ago, it would have not been a crazy thing to talk about, like holding gold or taking gold across the border or whatever. Uh, now, no one even cares to do that. It's, it's certainly dangerous to do that. It's hard to do that. It's expensive to do that with gold and silver always was, but there was that was accepted that that's what you would do if you were moving or whatever. With Bitcoin, it's super easy to transport your wealth. It's super safe. Uh, you know, in these war-torn areas, if you got to get across a border, you can get across with, you know, a seed memorized in your head. No one can know that you're taking the Bitcoin across the border. It's really, really important uh, monetary media that way. Um, if we start thinking that, like, Bitcoin needs to be held by central banks, that's just the wrong, it's the wrong line of thought uh, to me. And, and, I, and I just think this is a, well, let me, let me correct that. I, I, I do think that that could happen in the short term as many people are going to be excited about that. There's going to be more countries that may maybe even, you know, discriminated against, quote, discriminate against, as Bukele says about you know, the dollar, like they've never been helping us anyway. They're a dollarized nation that, you know, using the dollar hasn't helped El Salvador. So he's, you know, he's saying we got to move to Bitcoin. I understand these sort of statements, but if we start to think that that's like the reason that uh, other central banks should uh, hold Bitcoin, it's, it's, definitely going to help their citizens and whatnot i mean i don't know think again because you know there are a lot of these regimes aren't really the uh, least corrupt out there they have their own issues and bitcoin is just going to get wrapped up into that and then there's going to be more regulations in the bigger countries and it's just yeah i'm not i what i wanted to to finish this put a bow on this is that i think it's going to get worse before it gets better in that arena as well because i think you're gonna have a lot of geopolitical you know uh arguments about that you're gonna have a lot of political arguments about that people aren't going to understand it it's going to be regulated it's not going to be it's held in a safe way for for legislatures i know there's new legislation coming up with senator loomis, loomis who is very favorable towards bitcoin uh, very soon this week or next week in the u.s new legislation coming out. i'm sure you know it's going to be a very exciting read to read that but anyway, like I don't, yeah, I don't think that those things are are great for mankind, and they're not going to be great for the future of Bitcoin. So it's it's going to be a slog to get through that. But again, you know, a hundred years from now, uh, when we're transferring this wealth onto our heirs, to our grandchildren, uh, I really do think that Bitcoin is going to be a world changing technology. 
Um, but it's gonna it's gonna take a while to get there. Wow, I, I think I, I definitely echo uh, you know your sentiments. You know, we do not spend all this time uh, critiquing the machineries of government and their financial tools, only to have them. Uh, take the technology that uh, you know we've we've developed in the private market and use you know to their to their own devices. Uh, so I, I do think that you know your cautionary uh, sort of example is uh, is a good way to look at it. And uh, you know when we have all of this stuff that's happening, it's better to have innovation coming from private actors and you know people who are out actually providing value instead of of governments and imposing that. Uh, so I, I definitely agree there. I think that's a very strong point. I, you know, there's been far too much cheerleading, uh, particularly when it comes to a lot of uh, what's happening in many of these Central American countries. Uh, yeah, it's kind of strong arm politics. It's uh, not really uh, the most you know liberal of democracies in the world. And I, I want to end on that uh, with at least a, a question about. I don't like the term the West, uh, but liberal democracies, and for citizens of liberal democracies, and those of us who live here, who work here. Uh, you know, what do you see as a, a sort of positive outlook, whether it be with um, the future of our, our alliances or perhaps growing acceptance of Bitcoin amongst private people? Uh, there's got to be just a just a wink of uh, some hope there in your in your mic. Sure, sure. Well, Bitcoin always, you know, we saw last year for the 18th time China banned Bitcoin and all the crypto and mining and everything. Uh they're not going to be able to do it long term. They're going to try. They're not going to be able to stop it. Uh, just a matter of time. You know, I don't want to sound like I'm as prescient as Ludwig von Mises predicting the end of the Soviet Union in 19, the 1920s. Uh, you know, he didn't know either when it would end, but it took 70 years. Who knows how long it's going to take for China? They're not going to be able to stop uh, the power of this technology. So that's important. And I do think it's good that the West or the liberal, liberal democracies are embracing it generally. That is good. Um, as far as uh, Ukraine, I think that's also a huge, huge uh, game changer for just the way that we're looking at security, again, from, from liberal democracies here, mostly in Europe and the United States. Uh, I'm not saying that it's all going to be positive. I'm not saying it's all going to be you know, safe or easy, but we've been saying for years and years over here that uh, you know, you just can't get away with doing business like Russia does business, you know, murdering people, killing journalists, uh, you know, Novichok poisoning on British soil. This, these type of things are really, really uh, medieval and barbaric. And they need to, they, you know, you, you can stand up to these things without being a totalitarian gov government yourself. You can be a liberal democracy, a, a liberal uh, free loving people that wants to stop these types of things and this type of tyranny. And I think it's a refresher for a lot in the West, a lot of people in the Western world. And I'm very happy for, for that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Matthew. I've been speaking with Matthew Mazinskis, host of Crypto Voices, uh, also on Twitter, uh, crypto underscore voices. Uh, amazing conversation. Matthew, thanks so much for talking to us on Consumer Choice Radio. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.